Okay. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible study for tonight. Uh, we will continue another episode of Bible History Project. We are so happy to see all of you here, and we're so excited to get going. But before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, we are truly thankful to you for your blessings. Every day in our life, you maintain not only our health and life, Bless us with our divine connection with you yes. by means of the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for giving us yet another opportunity yes. to be nourished in our faith by studying your holy words. Yes. Father, bless us with open hearts and open minds. Yes. Fill us, O oh Father, with your strength yes. that we will be able to continue in our services unto you. Amen. Please forgive completely all our sins. We ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Like what we said, thank you so much for attending our Bible History Project. We are running along uh, throughout the book of Genesis, and we are now at the verge of the birth of Isaac. So the promised son of Abraham, the one that was promised to him by God, is about to be fulfilled. And all I can say about Isaac is he has cute feet, doesn't he? Yeah. And he has a role to play when it comes to the coming forth of the Messiah. And so we're so excited to see what that is all about and what transpires next after the birth of Isaac. How many here um, are parents? Raise your hand. A lot of us are parents. Now, when you had your first kid, how did you feel? Happy, right? And after a while, when it sank in, you were all stressed. You see, change introduces stress in a person's life. And so from time to time, we need to deal with stress that comes from sometimes family strife that a child sometimes might bring, right? And so we can learn certain things from the birth of Isaac. And so let's go ahead and see what happens and when Isaac was born, let's begin in Genesis chapter 21, 1 down to 5. The Lord blessed Sarah as he had promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham when he was old. The boy was born at the time God had said he would be born. Abraham named him Isaac. And when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born and so how old was abraham when isaac was finally born he was 100 years old when was the promise of god first given to abraham when he was 75 years old so 25 years of waiting 25 years of stumbling and falling and god has finally rewarded the faith of abraham the promised son isaac would at last be Born. And on the eighth day, what did he do? He was circumcised according to the command of our almighty God. And so after the circumcision, after the baby begins to grow, what did they eventually do? Genesis 21, 6 to 8, Sarah said, God had brought me joy and laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. Then she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew, and on the day that he was weaned, Abraham gave a great feast. And so what was the name given uh, by God 
for Abraham to name the son. It would be Isaac because Isaac means he laughs or yeah, he laughs because it brings great joy and laughter, not only to Abraham as a family, but eventually to all the world as well. And so when the child began to grow, what did they do? He began to wean the child. According to Jewish customs, this takes place about, this takes place about two to three years old. So on the third year, the child would be weaned. And so this child is growing up, about three years old. At this time, how old would his brother be? What was his brother's name? Ishmael. Well, how old would he be, do you think? Probably a teenager, right? So he was a teenager, and here comes a son who has grown up to be two to three years old. And so what does Ishmael do? Let's read Genesis 21, 9 to 10. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Agar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not giving to, she is not giving to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. So what eventually happens as Isaac begins to grow up, well, the Bible says Ishmael begins to mock him and make fun of him. Of course, an observer did not like what she saw. Who was that observer? The mother. Her name was Sarah. And so how did she feel? She became angry. And so what did she demand from Abraham? He said, get rid of that slave woman and her son. And so what we see here is conflict, right? Because there is conflict between Hagar and Sarah, because both are competing apparently for the affection of Abraham. This is why in God's design, a man should only have how many wives? Only one. It's just not going to work when you have more than one wife. Only one. In this case, because of certain mistakes that were committed, we have Hagar and Ishmael in the life of Abraham. Nevertheless, that conflict was resolved. But when Isaac was born, another conflict was introduced. This is why in our study today, we're going to talk all about, next slide, principles of conflict resolution. Is that okay? How many here have a present conflict in their life? Nobody here? When we talk about conflicts, we talk about conflicts among friends, among family. And so what is the first principle for conflict resolution that we need to learn? Next slide, please. Number one, expect, okay, expect conflict to arise even from among family and closest friends. It's going to happen. Why? Because we're human beings. It doesn't matter what kind of perfect family environment you're in. Human beings have different opinions. These different opinions sometimes lead to arguments and conflict. And so the first thing we need to understand so that we can properly deal with conflict when it arises is to expect that it will come. That way you're not surprised. You expect it, and so you know exactly what to do when it comes. So what's the next principle? And so when Abraham finds out about this conflict, because Sarah became angry and she made demands to him, what does what happens next? How did Abraham feel? Let's read Genesis chapter 21, verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his 
son. What did Sarah demand? Get rid of Hagar, get rid of Ishmael. She was very angry. But how did Abraham feel? She, he felt troubled. He felt distressed because after all, he was his son. And so he has big stress in his life. The one thing we should never do is make decisions when we are under duress. You agree? Because if you are in a state of stress and you have to make a decision, you kind of get rattled. You saw that earlier, right? You kind of get shaken up and you don't think clearly. And so we don't want to make crucial decisions in our life when we are under severe stress. That's the next principle. Next slide. Do not react out of emotion. And so what does Abraham do? Let's read Genesis chapter 21 and the verses 12. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maid servant. Apparently, Abraham prays to God. It's a good thing. Abraham had a personal, direct personal connection with God. It's like they talked and conversed. We can also do the same. It's called what? Prayer. And so when Abraham prays to God, or he has a conversation with God, what does God say to him? He says, do not be so distressed. And so the first thing we do when we feel stressed out and we have to make an important decision in our life is to find peace through prayer. How do you do that? Let's read the book of Psalms, 62 verse 8. Trust in him at all times, so people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. And so you're upset with your wife, maybe your husband. You're upset with your kids, and you don't know what to do. What should you do? You should pour out your heart to who? Our Almighty God. Be authentic with God. If you're upset, tell God, I'm upset. Lord, I'm upset with my wife right now. Lord, I'm upset with my husband because he doesn't want me to get the house that I really want. All right? So you pour out your heart to the Lord God. When you do that, something happens. You know what happens when you pour out your heart to God? Let's read what it says in the book of Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's pause there for a while. When we are anxious about something, we don't think straight. We don't think clearly. So what do we need to do? Get rid of that anxiety. How do we do that? But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when we pour out our hearts to God, when we tell God everything in our minds, everything that bothers us in our hearts, what shall we, we, we receive from him? The peace of our almighty God. It's called inner peace. When despite there's turmoil taking place all around us, deep inside we have inner peace because that peace will overcome the anxiety that you may be feeling. That's what we need to do so that we can respond wisely and properly and make good decisions, especially when we are in a conflict with some other person in our life. And so what, are, what is that principle we need to follow? Next slide, enter a state of peace. How do we do that? By means of prayer. How do we pray? By pouring our heart 
to our Almighty God. So while Abraham prays to God, what does God say to him? I really like this part. Genesis 21 verse 12, But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. What does God tell Abraham as he is in deep conversation with him? God says to him, listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Remember, we are looking at principles we need to apply so that we can resolve conflicts beautifully and harmoniously. One very crucial aspect when it comes to conflict resolution is being able to listen. This is why God says, listen to whatever Sarah, Sarah tells you. And when we go deeper, when we look at the Hebrew word for listen, what is it? Next slide. It's the word shama. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Shama or shama doesn't really matter. What does it mean in English? Next slide. It means to give undivided listening attention or to examine the evidence in court. You see, when it comes to proper conflict resolution, when we are overtaken by emotion, sometimes we shut down and we don't listen, right? We just want to be heard. And so what do we do? We make our voice louder than his or than her voice. But that doesn't work. If we want to resolve conflict, we need to learn how to listen well. We need to learn to listen deeply. What does that mean? In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sometimes when we have a conflict with someone, and it's an immediate conflict, and this person is angry at you, how do you feel? You're angry back, right? And when you're angry, you don't listen. You see, the Bible tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Why slow to speak? Because if you're not slow to speak, you might say something you might regret later on. And you're going to feed the anger instead of dissipating the anger. And so what do we need to do? We need to think so that we can listen deeply. You see, when it comes to anger, there's something we have to understand about that emotion. What is that? Anger is a secondary emotion. There are two kinds of emotions. Primary emotion, secondary emotion. Oftentimes, at the heart of every conflict is anger. There's always anger, but that's not the primary emotion. What's the difference between a primary and a secondary emotion? Next slide. What are primary emotions? Primary emotions are the initial reactions to a given situation. These typically represent attachment fears and needs, usually softer, more vulnerable emotions, such as, and these are examples of primary emotions, okay? like feeling abandoned, okay? Feeling alone, helpless, unloved, unwanted, inadequate. These are the principal or primary emotions. What are secondary emotions? Next slide. Secondary emotions. What are they? Well, they are emotions about the primary emotion. So when you feel you're unloved, and you feel helpless, you develop an emotion based on that. So secondary emotions are emotions about the primary emotions, not the actual situation. So for example, next slide, if there's a situation where you are criticized about something, somebody doesn't like your hair, you got a haircut, right? Come in here, get a haircut and their spouse don't like it. 
Has that happened to you before? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, it happens sometimes, right? And so a critical remark is made. What's the primary emotion? You may feel inadequate. Maybe my spouse doesn't love me anymore. That's the primary emotion. And so what's the secondary emotion? It's likely to be anger about feeling inadequate. Maybe my spouse doesn't love me anymore because of my haircut, right? And so what people often see is a secondary emotion. What people don't see is the primary emotion. So what does God want us to do? Instead of focusing on the more salient secondary emotion like anger, let's look at the primary emotion. What's really behind that anger? It's because they feel inadequate. They feel unloved. And so when you realize that because you're focused on the primary emotion, instead of being angry, you feel what? Compassion. And that changes everything. Look at Sarah. What do we see when Sarah demands Abraham, we have to get rid of Hagar, we have to get rid of Ishmael? She's reacting out of anger. That's what we see. But what is her primary emotion? She feels inadequate, right? And so when we see the vulnerability in individuals, instead of being angry, we become compassionate. And so the Bible tells us, next slide, the principles of conflict resolution includes listening for deeper understanding. Look at the emotion underneath the emotion, right? Look at the feeling of inadequacy or vulnerability underneath the feeling of anger. And so we need to listen for a deeper understanding. And so when God tells Abraham to listen to Sarah, what else does God tell her? Genesis 21, 12 down to 13, but God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. And so when God tells her to listen to Sarah, God also gives him an instruction. Not only should he listen to what Sarah has to say, God gives a reason for why he gave that instruction. He's basically telling Abraham, need to agree with Sarah. Why? Because God has a purpose. God has a plan, not only for Ishmael, but also for who? Isaac. And so God wants him to know that what you're thinking is different what I'm, from what I am thinking. And so Abraham received the will of God. And in the will of God, he has a promise. What is that promise? I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. And so here, Abraham receives insight about God's plan, about God's will. If you are in the middle of a conflict between someone or with people that you love, what you need to also do is to seek the will of God, right? What does God have to say in the matter? Why do we need to do that? Let's read the book of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Let's pause it for a while. A lot of times when we have a problem, we tend to respond to the problem based on our own understanding, right? Without seeking the will of our Almighty God. There's two ways we can seek the will of God. What are they? Number one, prayer. 
But oftentimes, what we want God, what we need to learn from God, we don't need to pray for. Because it's already written. Where? The Bible. You see, with Abraham, there was no written book. So you cannot go to the Bible and check what God wants. Today, we have the Bible. And so what does God want us to do? Seek His will. Why? Because His will may be different from ours. And so when that's the case, if God's will is different from our will, what do we need to do? The Bible says, do not depend on your own understanding. Maybe Abraham had his own understanding. But God said, you have to listen to Sarah. I have a plan for Ishmael. I have a plan for Isaac. And so the Bible says in verse, verse 6, seek his will in all you do. and He will show you which path to take. So that's another principle for conflict resolution. Next slide. Seek the will of God. And so let's take a look at uh, the, the summary of principles for conflict resolution. Expect conflict to arise even from among family and closest friends. You don't want to set yourself up for disappointment thinking you're not going to ever have conflict. You will. All of us are going to have conflict. Number two, do not react out of emotion. Number three, enter a state of peace through prayer. Number four, listen for a deeper understanding and seek the will of our almighty God. This is what Abraham did. And so he will set free Ishmael and Hagar. However, God had a promise to take care of them. So what happens when Ishmael and Hagar were set free? Genesis 21, 14 and 16, early the next morning, Abraham gave Hagar some food and a leather bag full of water. He put the child on her back and sent her away. She left and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was all gone, she left the child under a bush and sat down about a hundred years away, a hundred yards away. She said to herself, I can't bear to see my child die. While she was sitting there, she began to cry. This is a very sad moment, right? And I think it's sad not only for Hagar, but especially for Abraham, because that's his son. He loved his son too. He loved Ishmael. And so when he had to let Ishmael go, and he had to let Hagar go, I'm sure he was going through a difficult time in his life. And so when they were set free, she left and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And what happens? The water's all gone. But remember, God is the God who sees. God is the God who hears. She said to herself, I can't bear to see any child die. My child died while she was sitting there. She began to cry. You know, when we begin to cry, who do you think listens to our cry? Our Almighty God. When we enter into a place of sorrow, who do you think sees our situation? This God, right? And so God had a promise to Hagar. God had a promise for Ishmael. And so what happens? Despite the poverty, that they ran into. Genesis 21, 17 to 18, God heard the boy crying, and from heaven, the angel of God spoke to Hagar. What are you troubled about, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying. Get up, go and pick him up, and comfort him. I will make a great nation out of his descendants. Who heard the cry? God did. How did God respond? He sent an angel. And what did God say to Hagar through the angel? He said, don't be afraid. 
I really love that passage. Because when you are in some kind of trouble, fear is a primary emotion and it sometimes overtakes us. But always remember, God is there when you are afraid the most. And so when you're afraid the most, look up and God will go, is going to help you overcome that situation. What, is, what does God say to her? He repeats his promise. I will make a great nation out of his descendants. And so what do they do? What happens all of a sudden? Remember, they have no water. In 19 and 20, this is what happens. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. She went and filled the leather bag with water and gave some to the boy. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and became a skillful hunter. God is a God who sees. God is a God who hears, and don't forget number three, God is also a God who provides, right? You see, when it comes to our God, he doesn't just tell us about our problems. He also tells us that he will be the solution. And so he begins to bless Ishmael in so many ways, and he, he indeed becomes a father of many nations. God was with him. And he becomes a skillful hunter. He would eventually lead the Arab nation, right? And so God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. So the conflict was resolved. It's a win-win. Everyone's happy. But remember principle number one? What does principle number one say again? No cheating. Expect what? Conflict. You finish one conflict, guess what? There's another one. <laughs> Is that true? You had a conflict with your spouse. Next conflict is with your best friend. Who is one of the friends of Abraham? Let's read Genesis 21, 22 to 24. At that time, Abimelech. Remember Abimelech in our last Bible study, right? Abimelech recognizes that God has a prophet and his name is Abraham. So he recognizes that Abraham is a friend of God. At that time, Abimelech went to Phicol, the commander of his army, and said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So make a vow here in the presence of God that you will not deceive me, my children, or my descendants. I have been loyal to you. So promise that you will also be loyal to me and to this country in which you are living. Abraham said, I promise. And so he makes a new friend. His name is Abimelech. But sometimes when the more friends we have, the more opportunities for us to have. Is that true? You know, we're a very small remnant. But when we become bigger, it opens the door to more conflict. The more friends you have, the more risk for conflict. It's just the law of human nature. Human beings are attracted to conflict. And so he just resolved a conflict with Hagar and Sarah, and here comes a new conflict. He has a new friend. His name is Abimelech. What does Abraham experience with Abimelech? Genesis 21, 25 to 26. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken by force from Abraham's service. This is the first I heard of it, Abimelech answered. I have no idea who is responsible. You have never complained about this before. So what is this new conflict? 
the bottle well. Back then, the well was everything. Because during those times, you needed to drink water. And during those times, what was the, uh, what was the career of the individuals? They were basically farmers, nomads, wanderers. And so when they had servants, they need water. Without water, how can they survive? And so when somebody takes somebody else's well, it was an act of war. And so here's Abraham. He digs a well. He creates a well. And Abimelech's servants had taken it by force from Abraham's servants. And so how did Abraham feel? Not too good. Is that a conflict? Absolutely. That's a pretty big conflict. And so what does he decide to do? Directly, he goes to Abimelech. And what does he say to Abimelech? He says to Abimelech, why did your servants take by force our well? It's a good thing he went directly to Abimelech because he had authority to resolve the situation, right? And when he went to Abimelech, he was also open to the possibility that Abimelech had no idea that this was happening. Because sometimes when a wrong happens, we already assume, right, the worst about an individual. And so we play that in our minds again and again and again and again. And so we develop hostility. I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but when you are trying to resolve a conflict, brothers and sisters, not only do you go directly to the person involved, you need to be also open to the possibility that what you're thinking is wrong. Maybe Abraham was thinking that Abimelech is doing this directly. But what does he find out? The Bible says, Abimelech says, this is the first I've heard of it. I have no idea who is responsible. And so when we have conflict with anyone, maybe you hear some kind of gossip and a person's name has been mentioned. What should we do? Lord Jesus Christ kind of addressed that issue as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Let's pause there for a while. What usually happens when somebody has done wrong or has done us wrong? What do we usually do? Yeah? What usually happens is we want, we want to wait for that person to go to us. Right? This person has done me wrong. He should go to me and apologize to me right now. Christ says, no, if your brother sins against you, what do you do? You go to him. <laughs> Why? Well, maybe he has no idea that what he said, what he did, offended you. Just like Abimelech. He had no idea. Right? This is why Christ says, you go to him. If you, your brother sins against you, go to him and show him his fault. However, this is an important part. What does Christ say? But <laughs> do it. What does it say? Privately, just between yourselves. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. The Bible says when you have a conflict with anyone, you're suspecting someone because he or she may have done you wrong. What do we need to do? We need to go to the person involved, directly confront that person, not somebody else. Don't post it on Facebook for all to see when you do that, if you do it publicly instead of privately, what happens to the problem? It becomes worse. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us, do it privately. And when you speak to him privately, what should be your intent? Not to accuse him or condemn him, but to reconcile. Did you get that? 
This is why whenever we have future conflicts, you know, we have a, a group here, nice little group. I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now, 10 months from now, a year from now. We have no idea. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe there's going to be a conflict. What do we need to do? We need to talk to that person face to face. Not to accuse or to condemn, but to set things straight and to reconcile with one another. And so that brings us to another principle of conflict resolution. Next slide. Engage in adaptive confrontation. Who do we need to confront? The person involved, not the people, not the other ones. And sometimes that's the, that's the, the, problem, that's the, uh, the problem that we cause, right? Instead of talking to the person involved, we talk to other people. <laughs> And so it just make, makes matters worse. And when we talk to confront, we need to be open to the possibility that we're wrong. Adaptive. <laughs> Engage in adaptive confrontation. This is what Abraham did and what was the result. Genesis 21, 27 to 30. Abraham then gave some of the sheep, goats, and cattle to Abimelech. And they made a treaty. But Abraham also took seven additional female lambs and set them off by themselves. Abimelech asked, why have you set these seven apart from the others? Abraham replied, please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. And so when they had the confrontation and Abraham was adaptive and he realizes that Abimelech had no idea this was taking place, what did Abraham do? He wanted to reconcile. Reconciliation involves negotiation. Negotiation involves sacrifice on your part. So as a gesture of goodwill, what does Abraham do? He gives Abimelech a gift, right? He gives sheep and goats and cattle. Not only that, but seven lambs to show their agreement. And so when it comes to conflict resolution, we need to learn how to negotiate so that we can achieve a reconciliation however when we are trying to achieve a negotiation with someone we are in conflict with what should be our motivation what should be our mindset let's read philippians chapter 2 3 down to 4 don't be selfish don't try to impress others be humble thinking of others is better than yourselves don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too so one should be willing to engage in a win, a win what? A win-win, right? Not a win-lose, not a lose-lose, but a win-win. How do you do that? When you think of the interests of the other person. You don't approach the, 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 the situation with an air of pride. Don't you know who I am? I'm the friend of God. You know, sometimes... When a person is, um, let's call them religious, it takes them to this developing this mindset that he's better than everyone, right? I have five offices. I'm a district officer. And so they begin to think, I'm better than you. No. Abraham was not like that at all. Who do you think offered the first gift? Who was it? Wasn't Abraham? See, we need to think like that. We need to think of the other's interests as well. Let us not be arrogant. Rather, let us be humble, thinking of others as better than ourselves. Because when you think you're better, 
than the other person. When you begin to think of yourself as someone who's entitled, it's going to be difficult to come up with a good negotiation that is a win-win. And so we need to negotiate with an attitude of win-win. Next slide. Principles of conflict resolution. Negotiate for a mutually beneficial agreement. And that's what happened. This is why Abraham and Abimelech had a good relationship. And we will see in our future episodes that Abimelech's son also has a relationship with Isaac. What that relationship is, we'll find out. Not today, but in our future episodes. So after all this happens, how does Abraham keep himself connected with God? Uh, Genesis 21, 31 to 32. What else does Abraham do? Then he named the place Beersheba, which means well of the oath, because that was where they had sworn the oath. After making their covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech left with Fikol, the commander of his army, and they returned home to the land of the Philistines. You know what's some, that's something that God really wants to see from us and something that we need to also establish in our relationships? We need to show commitment. Here, Abraham has given a gift. They come up with an agreement, right? They negotiated, came up with a mutually beneficial agreement. However, that should not be enough. What God wants is for us to make a commitment. This is why they both swore an oath. One of the, we sh sometimes when we reconcile with others, we make an agreement, but we don't take it seriously. They took it seriously. We need to take seriously our relationships. If ever we ever have a conflict with one another and we reconcile, let's honor the agreement with a commitment. Just like what Abraham and with Abraham and Abimelech. And so next slide. Principles of uh, conflict resolution. Commit to the agreement. Make a commitment. And afterwards, how did Abraham keep his fellowship with God? Genesis 21, 33, 34. That Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and worshipped the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham lived in Philistia for a long time because he was able to preserve good relationships. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 21, we finish already Genesis chapter 21. And what we see in Genesis chapter 21 is how we deal with conflict, right? We deal conflict by observing the principles that have been outlined there. However, the Apostle Paul, centuries later, he goes back because Apostle Paul had the Old Testament Bible in his hands. He reads Genesis 21. Of course, he doesn't have Genesis 21, 33 or 34. Those numbering, the numbering is man-made. Is man so Apostle Paul reads the story of Abraham and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And what does he say about that? That's very interesting. Let's go ahead and turn to Galatians. Galatians is Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament, who wrote the book of Galatians? Apostle Paul. So Apostle Paul is reading his Bible, right? And he runs across this story of Abraham and his two wives and two sons. This is what he says about that. Scripture says that Abraham had two sons. One by a woman who was a slave. Who was that woman? Agar. And the other by a free woman. Who was that? Sarah. Now the son of the slave woman was conceived in a natural way. 
right? We don't need to elaborate on that. But the son of the free woman was conceived through a promise made to Abraham. So Apostle Paul notices something that God wants to communicate to each one of us why God has decided to tell Abraham, listen to Sarah, get rid of Ishmael, get rid of Hagar. It has something to do with what Apostle Paul noticed here. What is that? Let's turn to Genesis of Galatians 4, 24 to 26. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai. What happened in Mount Sinai? The giving of the ten commandments. The giving of the law of Moses. You see, the basis of the first covenant. The Old Testament is the law of Moses, the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion is based on the laws of God. And so Apostle Paul is telling us the first woman, Hagar, represents Judaism. You get that? First woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. Why? Because she is a free woman and she is our mother. And so according to Apostle Paul, she notices that the two women illustrate God's two covenants. What is the first covenant? The Mosaic covenant. What is the other covenant? The Abrahamic covenant, right? See the difference? Who represents the Mosaic covenant? Hagar. Who represents the Abrahamic covenant? Sarah. Because Sarah is the free woman. Sarah gives birth to Isaac out of a promise and a miracle from our almighty God. Well, what is this covenant all about? Let's read Galatians 4, 28 to 29. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are not being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Remember, Apostle Paul knows what the Old Testament is all about. What is it about? It's about human effort. God has given the law. But when God gave the law, guess what? God also gave the punishment according to the law. When a person doesn't meet the requirements of the law, what does that create? It creates a conflict with who? Our almighty God. Did you get that? What does the law give us? It gives us the difference between right and wrong. And so when we know the difference between right and wrong, what do we need to do? We have to do that. The right. We have to make the effort to do the right thing. What happens when we don't do the right thing? We end up doing the wrong thing. We create a conflict. This time, not between ourselves, but a conflict between us and who? That's a pretty big deal, right? This is the problem with the law. 
This is the problem with God's relationship in his covenant with Moses. Because of the law, there's the punishment due, that is provided because of the law. This is why next slide, the covenant, the Old Testament, introduced conflict between God and human beings. We know what we need to do when we have conflict with each other. I wonder what God did to erase the conflict that he has with us. And this is the amazing part. This just, should just blow our minds away. We human beings, you know, when we look at our relationships, we kind of find it hard. You know, why do I have to think win-win? Why do I have to listen? We have a problem with God because of the law. We're sinners. None of us are perfect. And because none of us are perfect, no matter how hard we do, what, how, we, how hard we try, we're going to commit sins. And because of this, we have a conflict with God. And because of conflict, God's wrath is upon us. But God figured out, figured out a way. What is that? Next slide. Uh, Romans 5, 10 to 11, we were God's enemies. That's the conflict. or enemies. But he made us his friends through the death of his son. Now that we are God's friends, how much more will we be saved by Christ's life? But that is not all. We rejoice because of what God has done through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has now made us God's friends. How did God resolve the conflict brought about by the law of Moses, the law that God gave to him on Mount Sinai? How did God resolve that problem? He gave up his son as the perfect sacrifice on the cross by means of his shed blood, our sins have been covered to satisfy the law. And so in the new covenant, we live by grace. And so we don't have to rely on human effort. We rely on the spirit of our almighty God. God has resolved the conflict by forgiving us our sins, by giving up his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when God said, to Abraham, get rid of Ishmael, get rid of Hagar, I'll take care of them. God wants to communicate something to us. What is that? In Galatians chapter 4, 30-31, Apostle Paul continues his explanation of Genesis. But what does, what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman we are children of the free woman what apostle paul is telling us is we should no longer remain slaves of the old covenant rather we should embrace the freedom that we have in our lord jesus christ why because when isaac the cute feet that you saw earlier right when isaac was born God communicates to us and tells us, stop relying on human effort. Rely on God's grace. Rely on the power of his spirit. Because we are children of the free woman. You see, God has resolved the problem of conflict between us and him by giving up his son. Let us rely on God's love then and use the freedom we have to love each other, to love our neighbors, and most of all, to love our almighty God. And so we have given you principles of conflict resolution. But brethren, the most powerful principle I have not yet given you 
What do you think it is? If we have conflict with one another, what do you think is the single most powerful principle so that we can resolve conflict? What do you think it is? Huh? Raise your hand if you know the answer. <laughs> no? What do you think it is? If you cannot do this, you cannot resolve any conflict. Love? Okay. Love is part of it. What does love enable us to do? What is it? Can you say it louder, please? Yes. Next slide. This is the last part. What does it say? Redemptive forgiveness. When we were still enemies, when we were still in conflict, what did God do? Did God wait for us to be perfect? No. While we were enemies, he gave up his son. Did he have to do that? No. Is it fair? No. Right? We're talking about God. His son is perfect and he gave him up so that we can be forgiven. You see, forgiveness is something that is essential in any relationship. Whether it be relationship with friends, with a family member, spouse, without forgiveness, brethren, we're not going to last. That's why we wanted to save the best for last. And that's the most powerful one. Not just forgiveness, but redemptive forgiveness. What is redemptive forgiveness? When you're forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. God forgave us, even though we didn't deserve being forgiven. This is why if we want to move on in our work together as people of God, we need to put that on top of our list. Redemptive forgiveness. In fact, Apostle Paul gave us the following command. Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. God doesn't just command us forgive each other. He showed us an example. You see what God went through to forgive us? He sacrificed his son. What are you willing to do to forgive each other? If we're not willing to make a sacrifice to forgive each other, it's not redemptive forgiveness. Sometimes we just have to forgive, choose to forgive even someone who wronged us terribly so that we can all be redeemed and continue on in our work together. And so the birth of Isaac represents God forgiving us because through Isaac, the promise would come forth. To show, to show to us that despite of what we have become, God has established a new covenant of grace beginning with his complete forgiveness of our sins even though we don't deserve it. And that's the essence of resolving all of our conflicts today and tomorrow. Okay?
That's our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, yes. we stand before you at this time. Yes. As we think deeply about what you have done. That yes. we can now be your friends. We can now be your sons and daughters. Whereas before, we were enemies because of our sins, because of the law. But you have provided a way to erase that enmity, to erase that conflict. And you have embraced us as people of your own. We are truly thankful because you have forgiven us. Teach us, enable us to do that very same thing with people who have wronged us. Teach us, Father, to be humble. Teach us to do our part that we can foster reconciliation even with our enemies. Father, teach us to live by love and help us to cherish what we have with you. This is exactly what we're going to do on our worship service this coming Saturday. Father, your people will be gathered together in one place, including those who will be joining us through the internet. Father, we ask and beg of you that special worship service that we shall have. May you accept us all as we remember with thanksgiving in our hearts what you have done so that we can become your sons and daughters. We shall approach you on that day, offer you praises and hymns, sacrifices of thanksgiving, and ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. Accept your people, O Father. May you send your Holy Spirit to strengthen our faith and to give us added strength. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask and beg you, remember your people. Help us to be like you, to remember what you have practiced, to follow your ways, to be your true disciples, that we will follow you until the end. Strengthen your servants always, Lord. No matter what happens to us, be there, please, for your servants, that we will remain bold and courageous as members of thy holy church. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people all over the world. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.